0: Corinthians chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. The sting of death is sin, and the power and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is God's word. You may be seated.
1: Just a quick reminder before we pray that uh, inside of the, uh, the announcement sheet, our bulletin, there is a number listed that you can use to text a prayer request that, uh, that we'll read during the invitation time. And if you've not done that yet and know that you'd like to send a prayer request forward, we'd, uh, we'd ask you to do that. If you don't have a, a cell phone with you. Uh, you can always use the yellow card and pass them to the aisle or give it to one of the ushers this morning and he'll make sure that those get up to us during the invitation time. Uh, we are going to be thinking about the resurrection this morning. We're going to be thinking about what that resurrection means and, and, and the greatness of that impact of, of, of the resurrection of Jesus 2,000 years ago, what it means for us all these years removed from it. And let's begin with a word of prayer. Father we're grateful for the life that we have in Christ more than our ability to to express it we are grateful and thankful and changed and moved and utterly utterly transformed by that kind of love and that kind of reality that brings your spirit and your word into our life and as we study this morning father our prayer is that you will give us eyes to see the text and to hear the text in such a way that that we turn toward you and are blessed. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all the church said. I'm reading a really interesting book, a, a terrific book uh, by Luke Ferry. And the title of the book is A Brief History of Thought. And in this book, uh, Ferry, who's a French philosopher, is posing the, the, the that the heart of philosophy is to answer the question of how people deal with death in order to live a life that is free from the fear of it that that's what philosophy at its heart is all about now those are my words not his he probably would not pose it quite that way he's a philosopher so he'd make it really really complicated but that's basically what the beginning of this book is about that we human beings are the only animals on the planet that realize that we live within a mortality rate and that mortality rate is 100% and that's what the book is about. And in this beginning section, he begins to talk about the ways that people have dealt with that, beginning with the ancients who said, you know, one of the ways that you overcome this thing that we're experiencing called death is that it's, it's through procreation that we, we live on in our kids. That, you know, even though they didn't understand this thing called DNA, they understood that there was a part of them that went into their children and that as their children went forward, so they went forward. Well it wasn't really satisfying to think that way and so they came up with some others and part of the ancient world was surrounded with this idea of the way that you deal with death and the way that you kind of get beyond death and, and live with the fear of it is you do the heroic thing that's told in heroic tales and and, and the way that you're immortal is in people talking about you even after you're, you're dead and so the idea again is you know you have kind of this rock star caveman who is talked about for generations and generations because of the way that he provided food for the clan and the way that he was able to protect his clan from woolly mammoths and saber-toothed lions. Well, another way that Mr. Ferry talks about the way that philosophers have tried to deal with, with this idea of death and to get around it is in this idea of the circle of life or the cycle of life where when you die you actually become a part of something that is bigger than you, that, that these ancient sages believed that there was such an order to the universe and an order to the world that there was something divine about it, and when you died you were sort of absorbed into that circle of life. I would propose that there's even a, a, another one that has become very, very prevalent in the Western world in which we live. Who do you think of when I say Heartbreak Hotel, Hound Dog, Love Me Tender, Don't Be Cruel, Suspicious Minds. The King. (laughs) You think of Elvis Aaron Presley, the pride of Tupelo, Mississippi. And those of us who are older like me can remember that there was a time when there was a lot of emotional hysteria that surrounded Elvis everywhere he went and every time he performed. Now some years ago, there was a book that was written in the United Kingdom in in England by a fellow by the name of Joseph Adair, That was about Elvis, and the title of the book was The Immortal Elvis. Up here on the screen, do you see irony on the cover of that book? The Immortal Elvis, 1935 through 1977. (laughs) Now, granted, Mr. Adair realizes that Elvis died at the age of 42 in 1977, sad. But What makes one immortal is our experience of his life's work. Our experience of what they've done is what makes one immortal, although ironically, one is still dead. Now to me, this is why the message of the resurrection is really, really important and really, really good news. Think about one of the things that Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 beginning in verse 3. He says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of what, church? First importance. That Christ died according to the Scripture, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to Scripture. Now that's, he's talking about the resurrection. And the resurrection really means a lot of things. The resurrection resurrection means that Jesus' identity is as the Son of God has been confirmed. It means that His teaching has been validated. But it means so much more than that. Think about, think about the problems of, of evil and of heartache and of injustice and of, of just just hatred and, 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 and pessimism and even death in the world. What the resurrection means is that those things... That are sort of the the, the 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 reminder that we live in this fallen world and that death is out there someplace. It is a reminder that those things, the resurrection is a reminder that those things don't have the final word. That when you think about the worst thing that can happen to you, and for most people in the world, it's the idea of death, that your existence comes to a hard stop. That when you think about the worst thing that can happen to you, your own death, what the resurrection says is that that may be the worst thing, but it's not the last thing. And so what it means to come to grips with the resurrection, that Jesus as a human being died on the cross and that he was buried and that he was resurrected to new life on the third day, to come to grips with that means that we discover three incredible truths. That an ancient fear has been demolished, that there is a new way of living that's been generated for us and that there is a new mission that has been opened to us for us to live each day. Now let's begin with that first one. The ancient fear is broken. That ancient fear is demolished. This next month, I'm going to have a birthday. I didn't know I was going to make it to 55, but I have, Lord willing. And one of the things that happens as you begin to contemplate your own life is that you see that each day moves you closer to the reality of death a happy thought. I'm thinking about my birthday, and here we are talking about death. But the reality is, when we are sober-minded about this life, is that each day we move closer. I mean, think about the way that we do life, uh, 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 health care in this country. Think about the way that we do health care in this country. A lot of money is spent over over the years But especially in the last years and especially in the last months and days to keep people alive. Now there's nothing wrong with that morally at all. In fact, I'm not looking to die anytime soon. But the amount of money and the amount of heroic effort that kind of goes into keeping people alive seems to indicate a faith crisis in our nation because we don't know what to do with death except to fight it off tooth and nail. But consider a couple of people that witnessed the resurrection we got Mary Magdalene. In Mark chapter 16, it talks about Mary Magdalene as somebody that Jesus drove seven demons out of, which means this is a woman that lived a very troubled life that evil had somehow gotten a hold of her, that there was no stability, there, there was no peace, there was no joy, there, were, there was trouble, there was adversity all the time. And, and, and Mark 16 tells us that Jesus drove those demons out of her. And this might indicate why she was called Mary Magdalene, Mary of Magdala, and not by her husband's name. She was a troubled woman and no one wanted to marry her. But along comes Jesus of Nazareth who brings healing and he brings changes to her life and she is completely and utterly devoted to Christ. What was it like? What was it like for somebody who had gone through that kind of a transformational experience with Jesus of Nazareth to watch him utterly beat to a pulp and crucified and and, and massacred at the hands of the Romans and the Jews? And in John chapter 20, we're told that after Jesus is buried, she's at the tomb of Jesus crying her eyes out. And what Mary represents, all the people who have had to to watch someone they love die. Then you've got those disciples. Those disciples love Jesus and they're grieving and they're full of sorrow and anguish because the one that they had dedicated their lives to and the one that they loved and the one that they had been devoted to has now been killed. But they're in hiding. Which means that they're a little bit afraid of the fact that those that killed Jesus are going to come after them. I mean, what's standing in the way of their own death now that Jesus has been removed? And the disciples represent those that are fearful and and scared at the prospect of their own death. And so in in these two groups, or these two people, Two sets of people. We We have the experience of the fear of death. The first is that Mary represents the sorrow of losing in death someone you love. And the disciples are the panicked at the prospect of their own death. So what do you do? What do you do? You live on in the long line of your children. Unless your children go before you or you do the courageous thing and hope that someone or some foundation might build a monument or a statue to you so that you can you can you can live on or be content in knowing that you are part of the circle of life god's answer to the problem of death is the resurrection When Mary sees the risen Jesus at the empty tomb and he is alive, she is filled with joy and she tries to latch on to him. And when Jesus sees the disciples, he gives them peace. They have a peace because he has risen. Joy and peace because of a miracle? Absolutely, but more than that. Are they full full of of joy and peace because something miraculous has happened to the person that they love? Yes, but surely more than that. N.T. Wright has written a book I read some years ago called Surprised by Hope. makes a fantastic point. He says, The resurrection is not an isolated supernatural oddity proving how powerful God can be when He wants to. Nor is it at all a way of showing that there is indeed a heaven awaiting for us after death. It is the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom really has been launched on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning that the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. It's not just that God in some kind of a capricious way can do a miracle. And it doesn't mean that somewhere after death you meet God. It means that your life is changed now when it comes to death. It means that the world has been changed. The world is a different place. That's why Jesus said to Mary when she's grieving over the death of her brother Lazarus, who, by the way, was one of Jesus' best friends. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? The resurrection is not to bounce from death back into this kind of a life. The resurrection means that death has been defeated, and death being defeated means that Jesus, in his resurrection, hit death and didn't bounce back into this life, but he pushed through death to the other side to live a different kind of a life, a resurrected life. To quote N.T. Wright again, it's, it's not life after death. I mean, everyone who has gone before us is experiencing life after death right now in the presence of God. What the resurrection is, it's, it's life after life after death. And it's described by Jesus as a wedding feast. It's the most one of the most prevalent ways that life in the resurrection is, is, is to look like and to feel like and to be experienced as. You know, I think about my own wedding, one of the best days of my life, in, in, in the top top three of the, the greatest events in my life, was for Ellen to say I do, and I was able to say I do to her. But typically, it lasted about thirty minutes. And that afterwards, I, this is old school wedding reception. We had some cake, some mixed nuts, some mints, pretty good punch, some coffee, and then it was off to watch the Cowboys play a preseason game. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to tell you that story right now. It'd just make Ellen mad. <laughs> and it's Easter. And I, I think she has some chocolate for me someplace. But, <laughs> but that's not the way it was in the Mediterranean world. You saved up all of your life to give your kid this, this wedding feast. And people wouldn't come together for just a couple of hours. They'd come together for a week. And there was, there was food and, and, and there was meat. I mean, in the ancient world, you ate meat maybe once or twice A year. And this was one of them. And there there was dancing and there was wine and there was family and loved ones and and happiness and joy and and laughing. And it didn't last just two and a half hours. It was an entire week. You know what a wedding feast was for people in the ancient Mediterranean world? It was the high point of the year. And Jesus says, I want you to know what the resurrection is like. Think about the high point of, of, of your year and that sort of gets at what it means to live all the time in eternity. And one of the reasons why Paul writes, you know, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind. You know, he doesn't say that you don't grieve. Grief grief is so important. Tears are so important. That's why God gave us tear ducts, is so that we can cry. One of the healthiest things that you can do in a fallen world is weep. And those tears just are an indicator of how important that relationship was. But he says you're not going to weep like the rest of mankind who have no hope. I just want to know what you think your life would look like if you didn't have to worry about death. And that's why we want to talk about a new way of living. That is generated for you because of the the anticipation of the reality of a resurrected life. And that passage that Prince read for us in verse 58, he says, Because the resurrection is true, stand firm. Let nothing move you. And because the resurrection is true, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You know, fear is is one of the great toxins in the human heart. Fear is is one of the great toxins in in the human heart. Think about how how much much, uh, uh, fear creates turmoil in the world. That this life is all there is and I've got to get my slice of it. You never know when the end is going to come, so you've got to make sure that you consume and that you hoard all the resources that you can. Because this life is all there is. Life is too short to be in a bad commitment. And we could talk and talk and talk about, about all of the different ways that once you get embraced by the reality of the resurrection, how it changed your life, but does not the very thought of the resurrection create the desire in you to love people? And does not knowing that you will see your loved ones again free your heart up to serve and to be generous and to be loving and to be sacrificial and to be kind and to be patient. Well, I want us to close to think about this new mission, though, the new mission that's opened up. I want us to read over a passage, uh, a couple of passages that have some detail to them that we usually just kind of just we skate over the top of it. The first one is in John chapter 19, verse 41. And John says, At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a what? There was a what, church? A garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Then you go over another chapter to John chapter 20, beginning in verse 15. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Now this is Mary. Woman, why are you crying? Well, she's crying her eyes out because it killed Jesus. Woman, why are you crying? Because she had seen someone she loved very, very much die. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the, what? Gardener. She said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And you know how the rest of that story goes. What is significant to me is that none of the other gospels have that little detail about the garden spot where the tomb was located but you know as well as I do, and especially in some of the things that we've been talking about on Sunday mornings and the preceding weeks to this one, you know, the garden is really a loaded term. When you think of the garden in the, in the Bible, what garden do you think of? Garden of Eden. Makes us think of the Garden Eden at the very beginning of everything where God has created this world that is without blemish and without thorns and without thistles. It's without scars. It's without pain. It's without disease. And God puts Adam and Eve in the garden and tells them to work it. Genesis chapter 2. And you know as well as I do that it's in the garden where sin is introduced into the world. Those first two human beings looked at that fruit and they started thinking about the fruit and they touched the fruit and they sniffed the fruit. They may have even licked the fruit and then they bit the fruit. And that's, I mean, it's just a bite of a fruit but it represented the ultimate distrust of God. And all of this pain and all of this agony has come into the world. In this garden. And now the resurrected life of Jesus bursts forth in this little garden spot in Jerusalem. Signaling that the effects of sin have been reversed. Reversed. In that garden of Eden where that fallen world was created, it was it was sin and it was death. And now in a garden, the resurrected life that will never experience death bursts onto the world scene. And to make sure that we don't miss the point, John says that Mary even thought that Jesus was the garden, the man tending the garden. And what John is trying to get us to think about is that not only have the, the effects of sin been reversed in all of the world, in all of the universe because of the resurrection of Jesus. Death which is that ultimate pain that comes and stings us because of sin. That has been completely and utterly destroyed. And it's in a garden that the resurrected Jesus appears for the very first time. And all I can think of is how great the power of God is how great the power of God to completely do away with death. First in Jesus. And Jesus is called the first fruits. And the first fruits, as you know in the Old Testament, were the first fruits that, that came that were dedicated to God, always with the promise of more to come. And that's what we are. The more to come. And as we think about the resurrection and its meaning and, and, and everything every every vital piece of knowledge that comes into us about the resurrection, we realize that it's not just the world that has been changed, but it's us. It's us. And Jesus says in, in John chapter 20, verse 21, As the Father has sent me, so I am what? Sending you. As people whose lives have been changed because... Death is nothing to fear anymore. We really want you to get there. Maybe you're visiting with us today and maybe you've been struggling with what it means to be a part of this thing called Christianity, to be a part of a, a church, to the Bible, Jesus, God, this Holy Spirit that people talk about. And, and maybe this morning you've been thinking about the need for you to kind of move on in your life in a direction that you've never gone before. And that is to move away from all of the fear that seems to control your life and cause you sometimes to to bash your head against a wall or any other number of, 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 of disastrous and hurtful behaviors. And maybe this morning is an opportunity for you to find out more about what it is that we talk about when we talk about being disciples of Jesus of Nazareth. We're going to have some shepherds down here at the front, and if there are ways that we can minister to you. And maybe it's just prayer. Maybe there are some things that are going on in your life, and you just need to get past them. And, and the courage that comes to you through God's Spirit and through His Word and the promise of the resurrection is something that you want to realize more clearly and more profoundly beginning today for the rest of your life. And maybe you just need the prayers and the encouragement of the church to do so. Whatever it is, whatever it is, we want you to come down and to talk to these shepherds As we stand and praise God together, let's stand and sing. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing
0: power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace this hour? Are you washed in?